The following program presents principles designed to promote good health and is not intended to take the place of personalised professional care. The opinions and ideas expressed are those of the speakers. Viewers are encouraged to draw their own conclusions about the information presented. Welcome to Healthy Living. I'm your host, Margot Marshall. Studies have shown that adverse childhood experiences are associated with an increase in many adult diseases. But healing is possible with attention to holistic health. Stay tuned. Healthy Living is a production of 3ABN Australia Television, focusing on the health of the whole person, body, mind and spirit. You'll learn natural lifestyle principles with practical health solutions for overall good health. Today we're talking about the impact of childhood trauma on disease. My guest is Dr. Andrew Pennington, an integrative general practitioner who is committed to holistic lifestyle medicine. Welcome, Andrew. And would you like to explain again what integrative medicine actually is? Sure. Thank you, Margot, for having me on the program. It's, it's a real pleasure to it's, be here. It's our privilege. Thank you. Um, just so your audience understands integrative medicine, I guess the, the simplest way to look at it is it's a combination of using traditional orthodox medical practices um, along with evidence-based complementary medicine practices. So, um, and those obviously can take the form of, of many different practices. Um, and integrative medicine is 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 it's a bit heterogeneous. It's not, unfortunately, it doesn't have a very standardised kind of uh, like we don't have a, a professional training that means we all learn the same thing. So integrative doctors all have different skill sets okay. and they might bring different aspects of complementary as a strength point into their traditional training. Sure. Um, for me, that's more around nutrition, um, uh, lifestyle medicine uh, and uh, using judicious supplemental um, uh, medicine uh, and trying to do that um, to enhance medical outcomes with patients. That's probably where I have most of my focus, but there are other doctors who may focus um, on um, physical manipulation, acupuncture, other, other sort of modalities, which I'm not quite so into, um, but, but that can, they can be also included in integrated medicine. And lifestyle is a big part of what you do, isn't it? Absolutely. And that mural that you have in your yeah. Waiting room says it all. So just just uh, go through that again. Yeah, that's, so that. that's right. So I, I think um, your, your viewers may have heard this on, on previous programs too, but certainly my philosophy of health revolves around an acronym. And that, and that acronym you can, you can see there on, on the, um, on the uh, program, on the screen, uh, and it's New Start. Um, so it, it stands for nutrition, exercise, water, sunshine, temperance, fresh air, rest and trust and that forms a, a really lovely way of holistically looking at how we thrive in, in, in health and life. Yes and it's very powerful. It is. Back in I think it was about 05 the US Surgeon General said that lifestyle which is embraced encompassed in all of what you've got there and that you, you use accounts for 70% of our health status. That's huge. Absolutely. And don't be offended, but it was only 10% for medical care, except for integrative doctors. <laughs> well, there's a reason why I'm interested in lifestyle medicine. That's right. It's the stats you've quoted. Because it's it the does... the best medicine we've got. That's right. It really is. Yeah. Um, now, of course, good lifestyle is not 100%, as you've rightly said. It, it's a really big, important black, mm. but there are 
are other aspects uh, involved. But uh, perhaps um, today, when we talk a little bit about adverse childhood experiences, I mean, I won't. It's not an area of great expertise for me, but it's an area that I've been exploring in the last year or two to understand a little bit more about how these uh, the nurturing environment of childhood how that impacts the developing brain and how that eventually impacts um, what happens to us in terms of disease later on and it, I think your viewers will find it incredibly profound. I do too because I've seen the pyramid that you're going to be showing and it's it's really shocking in in the truest sense of the word shocking. Yeah so I mean this information's been around for a little while now the the first mm. studies uh, were conducted 20-30 years ago in the United States um, and so um, it's certainly not new information, but I think uh, I haven't found a lot of health professionals or the general public are actually aware of it. Um, and they may well, I mean, if, if you ask people a little bit about exactly what causes disease in someone, um, you know, they, they may be familiar with risk factors for disease, but they may not necessarily know actually why you got a particular disease. And I wouldn't say that we always know as doctors exactly why someone gets a disease process. Um, but I think this gives us a lot of clues as to what foundation is laid in the preparation for a certain disease um, or diseases. Yeah. Um, so I think, as I say, it's very profound. Yes. So there's a whole range of things besides food and exercise and so on that, that we've talked about, but there's more. And this is the, really the topic that you're talking about today, the impact of childhood trauma. And that's, that's not a nice thing to even contemplate. No, no, it's, it's, it's not at all. About. It's not at all, Margot. And, and I, um, you know, I, I think I firstly want to say to the audience, I apologise if this brings up any mm. um, uh, poor memories or, or, you know, provokes anything. I obviously have no intention to do that, but we're going to need to discuss briefly some of these factors that are involved yes. yeah. um, because um, it, it really helps us understand why what, what's been set up later in life. Um, and I think we're increasingly understanding, predominantly from these ACE studies and the lead investigators who have uh, gone into them, ACE stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences, okay. and you can Google that and, and find some of this information. Um, and we're increasingly understanding that the environment that a child grows up in is so important for their development. Now, it's, that's a, a fairly um, obvious statement in many ways, but it goes more than food, shelter, water, etc. That clearly is important. Um, and the World Health Organization has made a number of comments about what are human rights and what are children, childhood rights, and those things are a part of that. Um, but it also goes even deeper, it actually goes to the way a child is treated by the significant adults around them. Um, and we're understanding that there can be various levels of childhood trauma, if you want to call it that, and that, in, that umbrella and encapsulates quite a, a large degree of um, issues that crop up. Um, and it's basically, these, stu these studies started to tease out a, a initially finding that there was associations between some of these experiences and uh, disease processes later in life. And, and the, I believe the investigators then became a little bit more formal about it and they actually did uh, a very, very large survey of about 15,000 people in the United States. I think a couple of insurance companies um, that uh, were involved in that research. Um, and they essentially collated a, 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 a number of questions. 
and they have now standardized it into 10 questions that involve uh, childhood adverse experiences. And they can be things like, uh, you know, having a, a significant physical sickness in the child or in the parent, oh. um, the death of a parent, the divorce of parents. It obviously includes physical, emotional abuse, sexual abuse of children. It also includes um, uh, even harshly spoken, sort of consistently violent or aggressive verbal words to a child. Um, and, and then obviously lack of provision of, of food, clothing, water, all of those things are also part of that. Mm. And, and when the more that numbers that you tick off on that you've experienced, you know, those yeah. things in childhood, the greater the chance of you having a certain disease process later in life. And they're very broad, the diseases. So we're, we're talking about physical disease, so cardiovascular disease. We're talking about, obviously, psychological trauma and, and mental health problems are, are quite um, uh, significantly more prevalent in those who've had adverse childhood experiences. Um, and there's a number of other things. And actually, I'll, I'll just, if I can just read some of yeah, these yeah, um, data. Um, actually, I might come to that a little bit later, but perhaps just to, to explain why this happens and, and what might be going on. And the body is so complex. I, I think medicine is moving a lot in, in the future. We're moving into realising that single organs or single processes rarely explain what's going on. It's a complex interaction between a number of things. And most recently, I think medicine is probably the, the biggest buzz area of medicine is to understand the, the gut and the brain connection, particularly the gut, um, where we're starting to realise that early in life, our um, we are developing a um, connection in our gut between the diversity of the bacterial content that are in there and the way it relates and interplays with the immune system. Um, now, this is really important because the immune system, of course, also talks to the brain and it also talks to the um, hormonal system, the endocrine system. Um, and all of this is connected because when we look at how we um, relate to various things that come into our sphere of, um, let's say, uh, trauma, um, our body is designed to react a certain way to trauma. And, and let's just say, you know, somebody was running at you with a knife, then, then your, your, you know, your design is mm. to get quite frightened with that and I've, I've got to either fight the, or flight this and hopefully you're going to flight this and get out of there very quickly to, to not obviously get in danger or you're going to stand up and get ready to fight. That, that's a, a sort of an innate response and that's built a complex response between hormonal control from the release of adrenaline and cortisol from the adrenal glands that is also related very strongly to the nervous system. Um, we have an autonomic nervous system that basically keeps our heart ticking, um, keeps our sweating and you know uh, a lot of other functions that keeps the gut working um, but the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system also have a role in hormonal control and gut control so the sympathetic nervous system and, and parasympathetic nervous system for those who don't know what that is that's um, that's what we call the autonomic nervous system and they very very broadly speaking they have diff completely different functions the sympathetic is the fight or flight let's get ready to go the parasympathetic is the rest and relax you know time to okay. take stock and you know chill down and and, and chill um, but 
what happens with adverse childhood experiences? And we might bring up the pyramid slide if I can um, just bring that up on the screen. And I want to show you and, and talk you through a little bit of this diagram. Um, so down the bottom, on the bottom layer, it's a five-tiered pyramid, for those of you who might not be able to see this. Um, and down on the bottom layer, we've got adverse childhood experiences. Um, and, and this is what we've just been discussing, you know, the traumas that can happen to a child that they weren't really designed to have. I mean, I should say before I preface it, it is normal to have stressful events and our body actually does need some level of stress. But this is where it's gone beyond mm. a normal stress into actually uh, being a problem. Then what this does, and there is some knowledge into how that you can see on the right hand side there, there's arrows that say we do have scientific gaps in the knowledge as to how these things impact one another. And this is true, but th there is some knowledge of this. But the adverse childhood experiences seem to set up social, emotional and cognitive impairment. So um, what you find is, is that individuals who've had a lot of this struggle socially, mm. that their emotional regulation is not so great so they may not know how to behave to certain situations. And this actually has a brain impairment. Now that affects, as we just talked, the nervous systems, the autonomic nervous systems mm. and their control over um, the adrenal glands and the uh, immune system and the gut. So- um, A bit like a domino effect, yeah, Absolutely really. right. Yeah. So, and then of course, we find that people who have these problems are more likely to adopt risky health behaviors. Um, and from here on, from the, so that's the, uh, the social emotions, the second bottom layer. Then the third bottom layer is adoption of the health risk behaviours. And, and then we've got two on top of that and the second What, what sort layer. of things might they be? Well, I think we, we understand risk? these very well. And, yeah. and these are things like, you know, uh, drinking excessively, smoking, um, you know, uh, engaging in um, uh, harmful practices um, mentally, um, eating unhealthily, not okay. exercising, you know, sure. not... Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of adverse health behaviours that, that we, we understand quite well traditionally that most doctors... And it's from here that we probably understand best most doctors come in at this level. We know, oh, okay, well, you know, your you, your family has a history of cardiovascular disease. Okay, well, we know that, you know, you need to keep your cholesterol down. You need to do regular exercise. You need to eat a lot of good quality foods. And, uh, and you know, we know that your blood pressure needs to be kept low. Those things are health behaviours or risk of disease. Mm -hmm. And it comes, comes in at that third stage. But when that sort of behaviours continue, you end up with disease coming on, disability and social problems. So we're looking at an adult now, perhaps Absolutely, an yeah, older of course. adult. Yeah, so um, these behaviours take years. Yes. Okay, these, or well, I, say, I should say these effects take years. Take years, yeah. And then of course uh, there, there may be various, various adoption over years of health behaviours. And disease, disability and social problems ensue. Mm. And of course we know when you get early disease, early disability, early social problems, you're more likely to die early. Mm. Um, so this, this pyramid is very, very profound mm. because you are basically looking at a model of propagating disease. And, and that's why it's so important for us to understand. And I think the two bottom layers, the adverse childhood experiences mm. and their impact on the brain development and its role uh, here is what's not well understood in the general popu population and probably not even that well understood in the medical profession, even though the data's been there for quite a while. But perhaps to go into it a little bit, I'll just, I'll just give you some data on this from the ACE study. Um, and, and there's a lot more data. There's, I can't remember how many studies have come out of the ACE study, but the original ACE study... That's the 
um, adverse, adverse child childhood experiences e study. Experiences so study, yeah. remember we had 10 sort of questions and you know a lot of people have a score of zero where they've had very little or, mm. or no essential childhood experience. Compared to someone who had a score of zero to someone who experienced four or more on their um, ACE score, they had a four to 12 fold increased risk of alcoholism, drug abuse, depression and suicide oh. attempts, I should say. A two to four fold increase in smoking and poorly rating their own health. So that's part of that health behavior stuff. Um, and having um, uh, increased rates of sexually transmitted diseases. And they had a 1.4 to 1.6 fold increase in physical inactivity and obesity, severe mm. obesity. So you can see... All of this is just piling it, up, it isn't it? It piles up and, piling it, and up. It, it compounds. Com and and yeah. this is actually why I find this so interesting as a, as a medical profession is that we're, we're peeling back the onion to actually get to the core of what's yes. going on. And I like you know? that because really, if you don't know the underlying cause, how are you ever going to Ab help? Absolutely right. You're just guessing. Or, yeah. But look, be that as it may, I, I want to spend the rest of the time, hopefully in this, uh, this um, segment today, talking about how do we do something about this? Yes. You know, how can we heal? Yeah. Can we heal? And, and um, can you? I mean, can you help people who are now adults and starting to see the adverse effects of the adverse events? And so what, what, what do you do? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a really good question. And the, the answer, of course, is that we, we, we can help and we can heal. A lot of what we do is a downstream effect because we can't remove the adverse childhood experience, no. clearly. You know, that, that's in the past. Um, and the damage that that does at the brain development le level and ability of the brain to then regulate its own stress response, that's what's actually causing uh, problems with disease um, because it basically plays with the immune system. So what we actually have to do is we need to look very holistically at these people. And f I think the first thing is knowledge is empowerment. So when people understand this, it's almost like the aha moment of, mm. oh, oh, right, oh, yeah, okay, that, I can understand why now that has contributed to the way that I, I am. Um, and when they understand that, that's when they can then take steps to address it. And, and how do I address it? It's through New Start. Okay. okay. We use that holistic approach. Run it, run it through again, through. The, yeah, the different so things. We look at the nutrition. The nutrition. And, and clearly, if you put good nutrition into your body, you start to give the gut the right type of food for the bacteria. That's the bacteria right. say, woohoo, thanks very much. <laughs> okay. um, I'm going to now um, give you um, uh, some really nice substances back and, um, and then you start to improve your immune function. You start to improve your brain function and those things are important. Clearly exercise. Exercise also has a role on the gut and clearly the muscles and, and various other things. It affects every cell it in our body. It sure does. For good. Um, we need clean yeah. water um, because that's important. And so I, I work with people trying to get rid of the unhelpful beverages. You know, alcohol is not a helpful product for us to have. It's a carcinogen and it, it doesn't, um, uh, it, you know, it makes our brain function worse. Yeah. So we've got to get rid of that kind of stuff. Um, sugary based drinks, caffeinated based drinks, they're not particularly helpful for us. Mm. So we want to actually get rid of that and get people drinking water. So we're talking about a few things that could actually come into the category of addictions by now. How do you, how do you help people to deal with multiple addictions? 
Uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's possibly a little beyond the scope of the talk, Margot. It's a, it's a, that's a complex question, and I think there is a lot of, uh, you know, sometimes they do need very specialised care, mm. these people with addictions, and I do provide some help to, a, to, to these people, and again, it's around holistic uh, principles. Um, but even then, sometimes I need to refer to people who have even more skill sets uh, in specific in addiction. But I think we can assist people with addictions by an understanding of the nutritional aspects, the physical aspects, helping them with... Um, so people who have addiction have a high rate of mental illness too, so helping them to cognitively improve there, and then also looking at psycho-spiritual issues. So I think it's a, an important issue that, that often gets overlooked in that, you know, People have these health problems with addiction or otherwise, there'll often be some uh, issues where they are not satisfied with their core value systems or life or they've had problems with their relationships. Um, it's so common for me to see this, Margot, people mm. who've actually, you know, they've got high blood pressure and anxiety and one of the reasons for that is that they actually have a, a, a poor relationship with one of their family members and they have not reconciled that. They may have tried, um, but it hasn't worked, and um, I'm, I don't want to attribute blame to any particular uh, individual here, but, but um, having an unreconciled family issue or issue with a work colleague or whatever, it will eat you away at the core. And if you've had adverse childhood experiences to predispose you to not deal with that well in the first place, it's going to be even worse um, for you to deal with those situations. Yes. So, so planning reconciliation wherever possible, forgiving people, these are, these are psycho-spiritual concepts, mm. is a very important part of healing for these people. Mm. Um, and sometimes for these ch uh, now adults usually who've had childhood experiences, it's going to require forgiving some of the significant adults in their life for the neglect or abuse that happened. And that may be incredibly difficult, mm. very, very difficult. But it may be very difficult for that person to move on unless they actually learn to forgive. And you can help them, I think, with motivational counselling. Certainly. So um, at the level Tell of... It, talk to us about this motivational counselling. Yeah, sure. Counseling. So uh, we, we know a lot about what's good, healthy practices and mm, behaviours. Yeah. Okay. But I, there's this big gap usually between knowing and doing. And it's not just right. for people who've yeah. had these experiences. Oh, it's, not, it's, not at all. It's across the board, not isn't at all. it? I mean, I find it hard to do healthy things all the time. <laughs> I, I think nobody's entirely mm. consistent all their life yeah. in doing healthy practices. But yet motivational interviewing or motivational counselling is in, a technique... Yeah, it, it, it's a technique that we that we use, and many doctors are familiar with it, and, and other, and of course, um, counsellors and psychologists, and, and other allied health professionals too. It's techniques that we use to empower people to make change. That sounds wonderful. Um, and essentially, what it means is is you know, when we have the doctor-patient relationship, where you come to see me, mm -hmm. it's not a okay, right, Margot, this you have to do X, Y, Z. Here you go. Here's your prescription. Go and do it. That, that, that has a limited effect. It's some people that, that will work for, but this is, this is more, okay, Margot, so, you know, you, you're, you're overweight at the moment. Um, what, what kind of things do you think you can do to be able to help that? Oh, well, you might say, um, okay, well, I, I really don't sort of get out exercising very much. So I might then ask, so what sort of are the barriers for you to not get out exercising? And essentially it's a problem-solving approach where you're actually coming to understand and own the issue and not just sit back passively and get the doctor to tell you what to do. Okay. So that's what motivational interviewing is, and it's very powerful. You're very good um, at that. I heard you uh, in action one time at a public forum, and I was very 
impressed. Uh, I remember it to this day. So I, th- I think that's wonderful to think that um, you have that skill and that you use it to help people, especially well, it, in a situation that's got so, so many things going wrong. In it, it's not actually a particularly difficult skill either. Um, it, uh, it really... Um, uh, it really just revolves around rephrasing things mm-hmm. for the, the patient or the individual whose health has the issue to start to come up with the solutions with guidance from the practitioner. So, um, And we know that this is much better because mm-hmm. if I tell you to do something, if I say stop smoking to you, Margot, you know, maybe 5% of people have stopped smoking. Now, that's awesome, you know, 5% health, great. But I want to do better than that. Uh, I want a higher percentage of people and that's going to revolve around getting you on board to make the change, to actually problem solve it through Um, and that's what I'm basically motivational interviewing does. Mm. So uh, we certainly use the techniques quite a lot and as a number of GPs and and other practitioners will use that technique. I mean that would be an ideal scenario. Mm. One of the problems we have is often a lot of doctors don't have enough time with patients to do these techniques very well. That's an interesting Um, point. So what sort of time do you feel is necessary when you're perhaps you're talking to someone in this very situation what sort of time would you be expecting to spend with them well it again it depends on the intervention required but i mean sometimes you can do it very quickly you can sometimes use two or three minutes of motivational interviewing and that's that's great but look i think if someone's got complex health needs uh, I, I spend an hour with my patients first up um, because I feel that it's very hard to solve a complex... In fact, it's impossible to solve a complex health problem in 10 or 15 minutes with, the, with your GP. Mm. Um, so I, I would advise patients who want to make change to get a hold of your GP and ask for longer consultation with them as hopefully they'll provide that, uh, at least half an hour. And, and, you know, don't provide them 50 things to work on. Just give them three two or three of the top points that you want to work mm-hmm. on and, and ask them to help you work through how to make change. Um, now, for me, as I say, I, I spend an hour with patients first up and I generally have half an hour follow-up appointments. So that's longer than most general practitioners, yeah. but it's because of the style of medicine I want to practice. That's right. So you're pe- in that time, that gives you a chance to peel back the layers, get right down to the root cause and see where you have to go from there. Absolutely. And look, I tell you, often that's not enough time. Mm. Like often an hour is nowhere near enough time with a patient to really get to the crux of what's going on. And, and one of the arts of what I have to do um, as a medical doctor, there's plenty of science, but there's a lot of art too. <laughs> and, and that is to, to do my utmost for this person to understand where they're at, what's going on, what, what sort of are the key issues for that person, what do they want to work with, and then try to work with them and not against them. Yes. Um, and I'm constantly trying to hone my skills doing that. Oh, that's really, really fantastic. And I just think it's marvellous what you're doing and the approach that you're taking because uh, I really like the idea that you help people to um, understand themselves what's going on and to work through with you and, uh, and we're not against you. Just, just excellent. I just want to touch also on one point. For, for anyone out there who, who may have had some of these adverse childhood experiences, and they're very common, you know, a lot of people yes. have had them. Um, I think it was in the order of 70% or so had had at least one adverse childhood experience, so it's, it's incredibly that's, common. That's really um, high, isn't it? Uh, but, 
often you're going to need to get a, a trained psychologist or counsellor mm. because some of these issues are quite deep yes. and you need to unpack them. Sure. Uh, and look, some GPs are, are good at that or some doctors are good at that. I do a little bit of counselling, but, but I wouldn't say I have qualifications as, as a psychologist or counsellor, of course. So um, you, it's going to often take a multidisciplinary team for these people. Yes. You know, not just a doctor, although they may be the coordinator of care, mm -hmm. a good quality GP. Uh, and then involving other health practitioners, um, both a psychologist and sometimes, you know, some of these other, like dietitians, um, etc., to um, to really help them make those changes. And you do have them. some other health professionals I do. in your so practice. In my practice, I have a, a nutritionist, mm -hmm. a naturopath, and a psychologist. And I'm hoping to add more with time as I as I can. Um, there but, might be yeah. someone out there wishing that they say, "Pick me, pick me." <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, look, it's it's very much about attention to all of those things, um, holistic health, um, looking at the new start approach, about how it can really um, assist people who've had these adverse childhood experiences that have disease to try and heal holistically. Well, that's a beautiful approach and uh, thank you so much for all that you shared with us because I'm sure that's giving hope to 7 out of 10 people who probably need that kind of, of intervention. Well, thank you for joining us. To watch our programs on demand, just visit 3abnaustralia.org.au and click on the watch button. We look forward to you joining us next time and God bless you. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Television.